Tonight we're going to be talking about meekness. Actually, it's called gentleness in the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation says it this way, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and against such there is no law. In the rough and tumble world that we live in, it's abrasive, it's tough, it's what I call dog-eat-dog society. Gentleness is certainly no longer considered a virtue. Amen. Thank you guys for taking care of me here tonight. Meekness is not exactly first on the list of character traits for people who want to succeed in the business world. Humility gets trampled on in our society every day by people who call themselves high achievers. And you know as well as I do, there are people that they'll do anything to get to the top. These things, these things called meekness and gentleness are good for Sunday and good for Wednesday, but as far as the world is concerned, in North America, they're not very popular. As a matter of fact, our society subscribes to the notion that if nobody else will blow my horn, I'll blow it for me. My daddy used to say it this way, blessed is he that tooteth his own horn, for if he doesn't toot it, it shall not be, it shall not be tooted. That's a GEism. I remember him saying that. So we're completely convinced that unless we make a big splash in the world, we'll live in the forgotten crowd. We won't get what we ought to get in our world. And, and from the hour that we, we enter the world, we discover America, our first thoughts or our first things that we hear is, come on now, stand on your own feet. Stand up. And then we learn to be your own man. You ever heard that? Be your own man. And then we're taught by some parents, this is not a good thing, don't let them see you cry. Don't let anybody ever see you cry. I want to tell you something. I believe it's good to cry. Independence, aggressiveness, self-assertiveness, and self-assurance are the attributes they tell us that that's what it'll take to get you success, and that's what it'll take to make you great. But in the face of all this, it's a shock to read what the Lord actually says in his word. For in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 4, the Bible said, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Again, in Matthew 23 and verse 11, he said, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever, I love this scripture, you better take note of this, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. How many of you believe that here? God exalts whom he will. God lifts us up, and he knows when we have a right spirit. But the greatest among you is not going to be the king. It's not going to be the guy in charge. 
it's going to be the one with a servant's heart. I pray, O oh Lord, give us all a servant's heart. For with a servant's heart comes meekness. Everybody say meekness. Now, I know on your, on your handout it says gentleness, but we're going, I'm going to tell you why that's on there in just a few minutes. So where's the truth lie? The world says you got to be this way. You can't let people run over. You got to stand on your own feet. You got to be your own man. If you have to push somebody down to get up, push somebody down. That's their philosophy. But God's philosophy is if you exalt yourself, you'll be abased. But let God exalt you in due time. If you want to be great in the kingdom, if you want to be great in the earth, be a servant because it's the servant that is greatest among you. And I, I believe I, I, I don't know about you, but I choose to believe the word of the Lord. Where does the truth lie? Where is real success in life? I preached years ago on how to be successful. Well, to be successful is not altogether about having money. It's not altogether about owning your own business or several businesses. That's not altogether what it's about. Life is more than than silver and gold. Life is more than having riches that we attain or houses and land. It's more than having your name in bright lights. When you want to talk about successful living, it's how you're going to end this thing because this, my dear friend, is a, a nothing more, nothing less than a dressing room for another world. Amen? That's what it's all about. The King James Version calls this part of the fruit of the Spirit meekness, while many of the new translations call it gentleness. So tonight, we're going to talk about it. The root word, Greek word, in the Greek language is P-R-A-O-S, praos, which the NIV translates into three English words, different words, and here's what they are, meekness, humility, and gentleness. It means this, a disposition that is even-tempered, mild, tranquil, unpretentious, and has its passions under control. Now, unfortunately, the word meekness rhymes with weakness, and the two are synonyms in, in, in a lot of folks' vocabulary. But let me tell you, just because you are meek doesn't mean you are weak. Moses, the Scripture teaches us, was the meekest man that ever lived. But we know that Moses was one of the strongest leaders that there ever was. He wasn't weak. Moses was a very strong, strong man. Uh, meekness in its true form is far, far from weakness. I want you to hear me because to exhibit this trait, it re requires unusual strength in us. The Greeks used the word praos to describe a wild animal that had been tamed for service. So gentleness, which is meekness in the Greek, gentleness is the power of your potential under God's control. Without it, you'll never be what God wants you to be. The Bible said, the Bible said, be careful. Be careful and not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. 
Now hear me out. You may think you're, you're the best thing that ever happened to the world, but be careful. Because the Bible said, to a man that thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. Any of us, any of us in this room are capable of falling. Any of us are capable of hitting the bottom. Greatness is, is in success is coming through your gentleness, your meekness. It's a power of your potential, but it's under God's control. You see, there's five qualities of a gentle person, five. And that, if, if you spell the word out that I'm fixing to talk about, it's power, P-O-W-E-R, five qualities. And, and if you put these things into practice, it will revolutionize your experience and your relationship, not only with God, but with everybody else. Let me tell you, nobody wants to be around a know-it-all. Somebody was working with a guy. This has been several years ago. Somebody was working with a guy, and they was telling me about, I mean, you couldn't bring up anything. I, it didn't matter what. You could talk about astrology, and they knew more about it than anybody on earth. You, you, whatever you talked about. You could talk about raising pigs, or you can talk about building a rocket, and they knew more about it than anybody. And, and finally, one guy looked at this gentleman one day and said, how old are you? And he told him, he said, well, man, I, I would have thought you was at least 100 to learn all the things you've learned and to know all this information that you know. Hear me now. There's some folks that know. You, you could be like the fool, though. There was a man that I heard about that knew a little bit about nothing. And he kept learning more and more about less and less until he finally knew all about nothing. Don't be that guy. Gentle people can take a relationship that is weak or dying and resurrect it. They can take a healthy relationship and make it even more dynamic than it is already. You have to have a spirit of meekness to rise to the top in God's eyes. You have to have gentleness in your life to be and to have a relationship not only with God but with your fellow man. Nobody wants anybody that's going to run over them all the time. Be mean. Be ugly. There's some folks sometimes you just have to love the devil out of you. Amen. So here's the first blank on your sheet of paper that we finally got in here. P stands for personality. Everybody say personality. Everybody's got one. But gentle people have their personalities under God's control. You see, our personality is made up of our character traits. Amen? Which can make or break you. And it can make and break your relationship. Because what, what, what are some of the positive character traits that you'd like to see in other people? Here's what they are. We like to think of people as being honest. We like to think of somebody that's being humble. We like to think of somebody that has a sense of humor. I like to laugh. If you don't like to laugh, you need to, you need to figure it out. Because the Bible said laughter is good like a medicine. Amen? I like to see compassion in people. 
That's character traits. What are some of the things I don't like to see and you don't like to see? Rudeness, temper, vindictiveness, stubbornness, powders. Hallelujah. Y'all all with me? Y'all scattered out like a covey of quail tonight. I couldn't hit any of you if I wanted to. Is that what this is all about? See, if we're honest, we have to admit that there are some characteristic traits that, that need to have the rough edges smooth off in our lives. There's some things that, that we are that we really don't need to be. And I'm talking to every one of us. Here's some hope for us, though. Jesus' three closest friends each had major character flaws, and he didn't give up on them. And God's not going to give up on you because you got a few character flaws. Peter, James, and John were Jesus' best friends, and they were what we called his inner circle. You do understand that. He had some friends. He had a lot of friends, but he had close friends. And everybody's got your inner circle. But Peter, James, and John, Luke 9 and Mark 10 give us a great example of their faults. Peter was arrogantly boasting. In, in Mark chapter 10, after Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler, here's what Peter said. Lo, we have left all and followed thee. He had this little arrogant attitude. Well, look what we've done. We left everything to follow you. Oh, you want some more? James and John's, they were about self-promotion in Mark chapter 10, verse 37. Right after Jesus spoke, of his, of his coming crucifixion that was going to happen in Jerusalem, they said, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy, in thy glory. They were just after a position. It was all about them. And to some folks, it's all about me. Amen. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a pause right here. Now, when I'm preaching, I like for folks to get with me. So when other folks preach, I try to get with them. Because that ain't all about me. Amen? Brother Hodge, if you're preaching, I'm, I'm going to back you. I'm going to holler amen. I'm going to holler Hallelujah. You see, this, this platform don't make me anything special. It don't. The only thing special about my life is the calling of God, and I didn't do it. God did it. I'm a nobody, and you're a nobody. And the only reason God put you where you are is because of his grace and his mercy. The only reason we're all here is because he saw us and had pity on us and saved us in the, the, the dismal state that we were in. Amen. So, so you know, if, if you're up here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to holler hallelujah. Would you mind doing that every once in a while? If, if you're singing, I'm going I'm to sing and clap and, and jump with you. But I tell you what, if you ain't singing, you ought to be jumping and clapping with whoever is singing. If you're usher, and I'm going to help you and do the best I can to back you and say so you're doing a good job. You see, here's the deal. It ain't about us, and I know that's improper English, but it's not about us. It's about him. We can't get lifted up over some talent 
that God gives us. We can't, look, God may give you the gift of gab and you may be able to talk and say and stand before. Look, I know people right now, if I called them up here, they'd have a nervous breakdown. But I know others I'd call up here and they'd take the next 30 minutes and never look back. God may give you some of that. But let me tell you what he won't give you. He won't give you everything he's got until you are thankful for what you do have. And he won't bless you until you are humble in the sight of God. Somebody shout hallelujah. You see, here's, here's again, Peter was impulsive. He, this was another character flaw he had in speaking in Luke 9, 33 on the Sermon of, uh, excuse me, on the Mount of Transfiguration. He said this, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. He was, boy, he was just, I mean, he was all about it. I'm just glad I'm up here with you, Lord. This is historic. Let's make something special out of this. James and John were vindictive. In Luke 9, 54, when the Samaritan village would not receive Jesus, he's, this is what they said, Lord, Wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? Now, I want to tell you something. I felt like James and John several times in my life. There's been a few times I wanted to call fire down. Is anybody like that? Yeah, come on. You might as well confess. Lord, would you just smite them? But you know what? The Lord didn't even entertain their thoughts. That's not the way we do business here, guys. No wonder Jesus said, you people are stubborn and don't have any faith. How much longer must I be with you and what do I have to put up with and why do I have to put up with you? That's what he said in Luke 9, 41 in the CEV. But, 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 but the problem is, is Jesus sees all our character flaws, but the good part is, is he looks beyond our fault and sees our needs. He looks, he looks at us and says, you know what? They're human. They're flesh. I've been flesh. I know where they are. I know what they're battling. I know what they're going through. And he loves us in spite of our character flaws and in spite of the things that we deal with every day. Somebody said amen. So personality. We're talking about personality. The same thing that enabled Jesus to stick it out with the disciples is exactly it's what it's going to take you to utilize the best in your relationships with your husband, your wife, your friends, your work comrades. It's this, Jesus saw their power of potential. I wonder what would happen if we had quit looking at people's faults and see the power of their potential. Come on, think with me. He knew that they would give him control over their personalities and, and, and they would be realistic and honest in the, in, the, in the very end. They had character flaws. Look, Jesus has never chose anybody that didn't have a character flaw. We've all got them. And our personalities are as different, my Lord have mercy. But aren't you glad God don't give up on us because we don't have a, the perfect personality and the perfect characteristics about our life that, 
that everybody thinks we ought to have. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. According to the power. According to the Holy Ghost that works in us. He is able to do it in us. Whatever we ask or think according to the power that we're. So it really lies within us what God will do for us and what God will, how God will deal with us. Gentle people are people who have allowed their personalities to be under God's control. Amen. So let's work on it. Whatever we need to fix, let's let the Holy Ghost fix it because the Holy Ghost will produce good fruit. Everybody said amen. Here's, what, here's that scripture again that we've talked about several times through this study. John 15 and 4 said, abide in me. And I in you, this was Jesus talking, he said, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. You can do good, but you can't do it by yourself. You can, you can produce some fruit, but you can't do it by yourself. You've got to have God. The word of the Lord has got to be in you, and you've got to be in the word of the Lord. Somebody said Amen. The O in power is for this. Here's the next blank on your sheet of paper. Outlook. So as we allow the Holy Ghost to control our character traits, it has an incredible effect upon how we look at things and how we look at people. How we see other people will determine two things, our attitude toward them and our actions toward them. We've talked about this in times past, but we're terrible about having first impressions. I mean, just looking at somebody and saying, I don't like them. Come on now. You don't really know if you like them or not. You might not like the way they look. You might not like the way they walk. You might not like the way they talk. But how can you say you don't like them? Your attitude will determine your actions toward that relationship. Amen? So when our outlook comes under God's control, because let me tell you what God looks at. He doesn't look at what everybody else looks at. He looks at you as an eternal soul. He, he's, look, I'm, I'm glad he likes guys with bald heads. I'm glad he likes guys that are short and fat. But I'm also glad that he likes a guy that's tall and, and lean. I, I, you see, God doesn't look at us, at people, the way we look at people. As a matter of fact, I can take you to the Old Testament and give you that story again where he rejected Eliab because Eliab looked the part of a king when David, when, when, when uh, Saul was looking for a king. He rejected Eliab. Not how you look. That's not what God's after. God don't need you to be all muscled up and on steroids to win this battle. God just needs an humble heart and the right character. And the people that are productive are those that are meek in the sight of God. Your outlook matters with your relationship with people and with God. Philippians 2, 4 through 8. Watch this. Look not. Everybody say, look not. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself 
of no reputation and took upon him the form of a serpent and a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross when your outlook comes under God's control all all of a sudden you start seeing things different and understanding people different and gentle people are understanding people and they understand their weaknesses and their limitations and their their downfallings, and instead of being judgmental, they begin to show true love. Second Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, I'm hurrying. And to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. This is, this is what you show your, your, your outlook for other people, people whose outlook has remained outside of God's control. You see, the number one way to destroy any relationship is for you to be selfish about it. Oh, you're not saying anything, but I'm, 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 I'm saying the right things. The Bible said in James 3.16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion. And every, watch me now, every evil work, where envy and strife is when you can't get along with your neighbor and your outlook is not good. Where envy and strife is. Let me tell you something today. And I'm talking to me. I'm talking to you. You can't be at strife with people all the time and be saved. Amen. I'm going to just let that sink in. Some people always have to be in a battle. Always got to have an enemy. Always got to find somebody to be against. Help us, Jesus. You can't, the Bible said where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. You know what the Bible said? God is not the author of of confusion. If there's confusion in your life, if there's confusion in your relationship with your with your spouse, with your mama, with your daddy, with whoever, then God didn't create that confusion. That's not of God. Somebody said amen. Here's what the, the W, the W stand for. Put this on your sheet of paper. Words, oh Jesus. I could finish the lesson right here. Every human being that is old enough to talk knows the powers of power of words. In your words, in the power of your tongue, there is life and death. You can speak good or you can speak evil. Words can either be destructive or they can be encouraging. Words, just simple words. James, James, boy, did he ever give us a, a insight into the tongue? I've used this many times, and, and you've heard me teach on it. But the Bible said in the book of James chapter 3, verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Did you know that thing you carried in here tonight? Uh, yeah. It's a fire, and it's a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. 
and is, it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that's in the Bible. The tongue. How many times in your life have you said something and immediately you wish you could go, ha! Man, I have. I have up here. And I have in other places. Because my tongue is an unruly member. Oh, if you want a real Bible study, go study that. The whole book of James, especially chapter 3. Because he, he, said, he said the tongue is like the hem of a ship. You know what the hem of a ship does? It turns the ship. Huh? Your, your tongue can create more problems for you and I, mine can for me. I mean, a, a, just a word, a word unfit toward any situation or body can cause tremendous destruction. Are we, not, are we not smart enough yet to understand what James is talking about? Because you see, words destroy relationships or words build relationships. Words can make or break us. Words, words can fix the problem, but words can make the problem worse. Mike Murdoch wrote a song that said, the kindest word is an unkind word unsaid. That's the kindest word is an unkind word unsaid. The kindest letter is an unkind letter unread. Words unspoken leave hearts unbroken. The kindest word is an unkind word unsaid. There's some things just not worth saying. Amen. You, don't be like the old boy that was on the phone call from God. That many years ago I heard it. It was a comedian doing it. And, you know, he's got a phone call from God and he's telling God. He said, yeah, but God, everything we say about our neighbors is true. <laughs> it may be true, but it's not worth saying. Amen? Just because it's true, don't give us license to say it. Because sometimes it's true, but it's, it's harmful and it's hurtful. Nobody in this room, no human being can tame their tongue. That's why we have to bring the words under God's control. That's why in a spirit of meekness, we have to be careful how we talk. Do you know how God controls your words? He first tames your heart and then he tames your spirit. The re I'm going to talk a little bit right here. You may not understand that, but if you understand that about the tongue, the reason God chose tongues is because the tongue, I just read it to you, is the most unruly part of your body. Your tongue's worse than your feet, worse than your hands, worse than your mind, worse than any part of your body. Your tongue is the most unruly part of your body. Why did God choose people or or? the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and you read it all through the book of Acts with the speaking in other tongues. Because when you speak in other tongues, you are speaking, the Bible said, as the Spirit gives the utterance. When the Holy Ghost comes upon you, it 
to me, and if I understand the scripture right, when he takes your tongue and you start speaking in a heavenly language, if he's got your tongue and your tongue is the most unruly member of your body, he's got your hands, he's got your feet, he's got your eyes, he's got your ears, he's got every faculty of your body because he just conquered the most unruly member of your body when you relinquish that to him and you started to speak in a language that only God can give. That's why I believe that the Spirit of the Lord speaks through us and we speak in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. You believe that? Everybody in this room say amen. You know what I just did? I gave you the utterance. I told you, everybody here say praise the Lord. I gave you the utterance. That's why when people are praying and the Holy Ghost comes upon them and your lips begin to quiver and you're, you're, you, 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 you lose control over that tongue, go ahead and speak that out because that's not D.G. Chance giving you the utterance. That's the Holy Ghost giving you the utterance. That's the power of God coming upon you. The Bible said that's why the Old Testament prophet picked up the pen and said, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people and this is the rest wherewith you shall cause the weary to rest. Well, guess what? Jesus came along and said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What rest are you going to give us, Jesus? With stammering lips and another tongue. Fill the Holy Ghost. Amen. So Luke 6.45 said, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. And of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaketh. Wow. From here, it comes out here. It don't come out from here to here. It comes from here to here. Everybody say amen. Proverbs 15.4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. We're still talking about your words. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. In other words, don't be talking about junk and garbage. Everybody in this church has got a fault. Let me tell you, I can hang around you 15 minutes and I can find fault with you. And guess what? You can find fault with me. There's not a perfect man in this house. I know you thought you were, but I'm going to bust your bubble tonight. You ain't. You ain't got it all figured out. You're not the personification of, of success and living for God. We all got issues. Every one of us, from the pastor to the back pew, from sidewall to sidewall, we all have issues. And a lot of times it's the words. Each word that you say, it, it has to be a gift one of the characteristics of gentle people is their words are under control. They think before they speak. Has anybody in this room ever spoke without thinking? Oh, God. Anybody? A few of us? The rest of you holy outfits? Don't you lie to me. Think. Double clutch. Put your brain in gear. 
before your tongue goes to wagging. And there have been times that I started to say something and said, well, I better not say that. Because the Holy Ghost will check you. If we just get our, our, our spirit right and we are under the control of God and the fruit of our life is the words that come out of our mouth and we, we speak in gentleness and we speak in mercy and we speak in meekness and we speak with humility. Hallelujah. Well, somebody's got to say it, but it may not be you that needs to say it. Somebody needs to tell them. But it might not be your job to tell them. Everybody with me? I'm hurrying. E, put down expectations. When somebody disappoints you, are you gentle with them or are you judgmental with them? Did you know that your response to people determine the health of your relationship with that person? I had to deal with somebody just, uh, it hadn't been long ago, and uh, called him in my office. And I already made up my mind. Now, were they wrong? Yes, they were wrong. Now, in the old days, you, you, <laughs> In the old days, you just, you know, you, you come down hard. Bless God, you sit on that pew six months and you don't move. And you, you know, you prove to me you want to live for God. This ain't the old days. So I knew the person was wrong. And I said, uh, you know, I overlooked some things not long ago when they were said because anything can be said. But I said, pictures don't lie. And I had pictures. People send me pictures. So I said, pictures don't lie. But here's the deal. I love you anyway. And I want you to be saved. And God's got you in his hand. And you've made a mistake. You see, you may not pastor this way. If you want to pastor a different way, here, come get this job. I'll sit out there. But I said, you know what? Your soul is eternal. And what's more important to me here. It's not seeing how hard I can be on you, but seeing if I can pull you into the grace of God and let the mercies of God reach out to you. And you got to understand you were wrong, but God loves you anyway. He loves you in spite of what you've done. But hear this, Pastor, I'm going to love you in spite too because I know there's good in you. I had a man one time that committed adultery, knew he committed adultery, and I caught him, and he knew I caught him. And he said, please don't tell my wife. If you tell my wife, and if I have to do this, this, and this, my marriage is over. I said, I'm not going to tell your wife. I just want you to commit to God and straighten yourself up. Get your life straightened up. For years, for years, that gentleman sent me a text on his anniversary or called me. Or had a way of telling me. It was before text. Thanking me for not destroying his life for years. Why? Because, you see, our expectations sometimes of people are not realistic. Because everybody's going to make mistakes. When we mess up, God's not waiting on us with a clenched fist and a big club to knock us in the head. God wants you to run to him and not from him. Did you hear what I said? God wants you to run to him and not from him. Now, you said, Pastor, you're just letting sin go in the church. No, I'm not. 
I told that same person, I'm going to ask you every, every few weeks, what's going on in your life? I'm going to make you accountable to me. you got to tell me. you got to be. If you lie to me, the Holy Ghost is going to get you. Matter of fact, the last folks I read about that lied to the Holy Ghost, they hauled them out of the church feet first. I'll call GE from the grave. I remember him getting in his pulpit and somebody had stole something in the church and he said, Lord, if they're lying, I'm praying their tongue cleave to the top of their mouth. Bless God, I want to tell you, that person confessed and we got it back the next day. That's a true story. I was here. I witnessed that with my own eyes. He said, let their tongue cleave to the top of their mouth. Bless God, I want to tell you, everybody was, oh, Jesus. I'm Amen. So our expectations. Let me move quickly. I got to quit. The last one, last blank on your piece of paper is this. Response. Everybody say response. Have you ever thought about the word responsible? Responsible. You could say it this way. Response, able. Gentle people are able to control their response in life. You know, most of the problems that we have are not our actions. It's our reactions. We all react to stuff. Amen? I mean, some of you don't ever raise your voice until somebody makes you mad. But it's not an action. It's just a reaction. You don't ever lose your temper until somebody rubs you the wrong way. It's not an action. It's a reaction. Probably 90% of our actions are reactions. So, so we have to have our response able to have the response that God wants us to have. The way we, they re, we respond is, is sometimes our internal disposition, not our external condition. So you make me angry, so angry. That I've heard people say, you make me so angry. No, no, you choose to respond a way that Perhaps you shouldn't respond. And I'm guilty and you're guilty, but our response to people determine our relationship with people. Because if somebody makes, look, if I, if I got mad at everything and stayed mad at people that, that did things maybe that were not just right, I'd hate every one of you. Because I've been here long enough to see flaws in everybody in this room. But I don't. Guess what? I love every one of you. And, and, and my response to you is, I love you. I don't care how mean you are. I love you. I don't care how much sin you've committed. The response Jesus said, in our relationship with God, let me tell you something. If we're in trouble, if God responds to us like we respond to people sometimes, we're in trouble. Our response can't be on a humanity thing. We've got to get our Holy Ghost inside of us to produce the right response. Our words, our, our actions, our, our doings and the things that we do to, to deal with situations in our life our response matters to God. When God comes after us and he convicts us, our response has to be right. When people wrong us, our response has to be right. I told someone just a few days ago, look, here's what the Bible said. The Bible said do it this way. And when the Bible said it, it's right. It's right. You know, can, can I go back to that scripture again? 
that says, if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that your brother have all against you. Isn't it amazing that God didn't say, you remember that you have all against your brother. He said, leave your gift at this altar and go be reconciled unto your brother. And then you come give your gift to God. Amen? So, so the thing you do is, is you respond to people in a positive way because negative response gets negative response. Positive response gets positive response. Amen? I've, I've known people that said things they thought was going to hurt me, and I just laughed it off and took it, and then they started laughing with me. You got to respond the right way. I'm not telling you that I'm the epitome of success at that because I have not always responded the right way. There have been a few times I'd like to give them a right hook. Oh, preacher, you shouldn't act like that. I said something like that one time, and a lady jumped up and left the church and said, My God, the preacher's wanting to fight somebody. Well, let me tell you something we're human. We're human. And don't tell me how gracious you are, because you're human too. And when somebody rubs you the wrong way, your response is not always perfect. But I'm telling you tonight, our response matters to how we deal in relationships with God and with people. When God gets in on your case, let me tell you, you don't go fight God. What you do is humble yourself like a little lamb and say, God, I've done wrong. I need help. And let me tell you what happened in your relationship with others, your response to them. If it's positive, it will bring positive results. If it's negative, it'll, it'll, get a, it'll be like a cancer. It'll just grow and get to be a bigger problem. Amen? Here's what Proverbs said. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Did you? You ought to mark that in your Bible. Proverbs 16, 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit. Mm. James 1.21, I'm hurrying. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. 1 Peter 3 and 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. And he in, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek, everybody say a meek. Come on, say it with me, a meek and a quiet spirit. That's an ornament that you have to wear, which is in the sight of God, great price. So only to gentle, meek, and humble people does God freely give himself, and he draws near unto them. And with your meekness, you can win the world. Psalms 34, 18 said, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Wow. He don't like pride and vanity. As a matter of fact, I could end this lesson tonight with this. The Bible said God resists the proud, but he gives grace to humble people. You be humble. You be meek. You don't have to let people run over you. That's not what meekness is. 
Meekness is looking at yourself in the eyes of God and saying, you know what, I don't know why God saved me. I don't know why I'm where I am. I don't deserve anything, but I give God glory. I want to live an humble life before God. James 4 and 6 said, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. Resisteth the proud. Resisteth the proud. One translation I read one time, it said God stiff arms the proud. He stiff arms them. You ever seen a running back running the ball? Somebody's coming from his side. You know what he does? He puts his hand out and puts it on his helmet. He stiff arms him. A good running back knows how to stiff arm. Well, let me tell you about God. He stiff arms you. He's not going to get near you when you're full of pride. He resists the proud. But here's what Edson said. He gives grace. Somebody say he gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. The wonderful news is that God can fill us with meekness and gentleness. That's the fruit that comes from the Spirit of God. Shall we stand?